Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Moses Velasco, and um, good morning. Um, maybe if I could just kind of move this here. All right. Sorry, guys, I didn't know you were going to be up here. But, uh, so uh, Graham had asked me, I guess it was back in the spring, if I'd be willing to uh, come up uh, at, at some point in a service and share a little bit about myself uh, so that you could get to know, get to know me. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing to, to think about what do, you, what do you share with people so that they get to know you. I'm, I'm not sure what I should be telling you. Um, I grew up in the east end of Toronto. Uh, I am a teacher by profession. And I've been living here in Stobel for the past 10 years. Those are kind of like details, personal details about me. But that doesn't really tell you who I am. So as I thought about uh, what I might share with you, what might be relevant for, for you to know about me, especially as it relates to uh, being a part of the Into One community, I, I thought back to what, uh, what life was like for me growing up. So I grew up uh, going to church with my family, and I come from a, a fairly rich uh, traditional family in terms of uh, uh, being rooted in church life and church culture. And the church that I grew up going to, um, we might identify as a, a fairly conservative church, um, where theology, by, by definition, was very conservative. And I grew up going to church, and it was like, the way that I understood what, a Christ, what it meant to be a Christian, it, it kind of meant being a Christian meant that you were right. You had, to, you had to think right, you had to believe right, but then what ended up happening was, is if you start believing that, then that means everyone else is wrong. And I started living life, and I realized that it, that that can't possibly be right. There are a lot of people that are also trying to figure out what this what it means to be a Christian. And if they haven't decided what how to be a Christian is the same as me, that that they're somehow not right with God. And so, when I think about my life, it's kind of moved from uh, being being right with God to kind of recognizing who God is and. What is it that he really wants from my life? So um, if you'll indulge me, and I, I, this is why I apologize to the band, because I didn't know you'd be up here. But there's a song that I wanted to teach you really quickly, because it, 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 it bears um, importance to the story. So it's taken from the scripture where Jesus is asked, you know, what are the greatest commands? And he goes, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's what he says. And then he couples that commandment with, you should also love your neighbor as you love yourself. So let me teach you the first part. Just listen to it. And then the second time around, I'll get you to join me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Okay, see if you can sing that with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Let's do that again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your heart, soul, and mind. Good. And this is the second part. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So it goes, you shall love your neighbor. Here we go. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So I just taught you the whole song, but we actually haven't sung it together. So let's do that, sing the song together. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Well done. Thank you. Um, so I want to take you back to this idea of what it means to uh, be right with God, moving from trying to figure out what it means to be right for God, actually, and then recognizing who God is. And my story in, in, in that journey stems from four different things. There's this passage in, um, actually, actually, really, it stems from my grandmother. Um, I grew up with my grandmother, and she, she passed away last year, and she was 94 years old. Uh, but I had the good fortune, my brothers and I, of having her live with us all through my elementary years. And uh, I, shortly, I think after grade eight, she actually moved to California. And uh, I would, uh, when I began teaching, I actually would go down and visit her uh, once a calendar year, typically, is what I did. And uh, maybe about 10 years ago, maybe just over 10 years ago, she'd come up to Canada, and he was visiting us here. And uh, we, she and I were having this conversation, and she's, she made the statement to me. Uh, she asked me about no longer going to the church that I had grown up going to. And, um, and then she asked me, so where are you going? I told her, and, and she said, so you, you're not going, though, because you think that the church that you grew up going to is wrong. That's not why you've moved, is it? And I was like, no, no, it's not. And I said, you know, I, I don't know, I, I think that you kind of have to make some decisions so they know that you're, they're yours, right? You have to make some decisions so that you know that they're yours. And sometimes it needs to be different than what you'd been taught because you need to know it's yours. I said, maybe that's what it is. Then she looks at me and she goes, you know, the older I get, the more I'm not so sure of. And when she said that to me, what that made me think about was how I grew up, 
how it was a, a, everything about being a Christian was being right. And so for her to say as an 80-year-old woman, I'm not so sure. Maybe, maybe things are much more simpler than we've made them out to be. So when I think about the simplicity of the gospel, I think about things like um, Philippians, where the writer says we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. This is not something, being a Christian is not something that's you're told how to do. It's something you just live. It, it comes through in um, the song we just sang, where Jesus commands us just to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind. And likewise, then we can love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And it also, the simplicity of the gospel comes down to how God, or Jesus came so that we could live life abundantly. And when I think about, well, what does it mean to live life simply, what the, live life with the, knowing that the gospel is simple, um, it really comes through in the, the recognition that um, life is, can be really, really painful, right? And uh, life is not intended to be easy, to be lived easily. Uh, it's not in, life can, is not smooth. You will encounter pain and you will encounter loss. But that it is in those moments of deep pain and deep loss that God exists, that God is present. And that's, that's the wonderful, that's actually the good news, is that life, um, as difficult as it can be, we have this being we have this person of Jesus who meets us in those places and in those spaces to walk alongside us. Uh, and it, it's not easy to live a life that's grateful for that because sometimes that pain can be so, and that loss can be so great that we, we forget that God wants to use that opportunity to show us who he is. So, um, you know, when I, one of the things that Graham had asked me to consider as I thought about what I'd share with you, he had said, you know, is there something you want to share that you're uh, grateful for, um, that you're thankful for? And that video was quite telling, you know, that God is in those small things. There are small things for us to be grateful for. So I'm thankful for um, living and growing up where I did and where I do. Uh, there is a great deal of economic privilege that, that comes with that. Um, I've had opportunities to travel around the world and see places that don't have those kinds of, don't have the same luxuries that we have here. Um, and that, that's actually still a pretty big thing. Um, more recently, I'm really grateful that uh, God has uh, opened my awareness to how family can be used um, to demonstrate how you can love and live fully. Um, what did I write here? Yeah, God has used my family to help me remember how to live and love generously. God has consistently put friends in my life who demonstrate that he is always with you, even in the smallest of gestures. There's, I, I mean, I shared with you at the beginning of my, whatever this is, <laughs> um, that I'm a teacher. And so I thought I would, um, I, want, I want all of this to amount to this message. Um, when we leave today, when you leave here today, um, be thinking about how God is slowly but surely changing his understanding, uh, your understanding of who he is. And that he is in the moments, great and small, and uh, we have to just open our eyes and our hearts to that. There's a story by Gene Willis and Tony Ross, it's called Mayfly Day. 
You may or may not know this, but a mayfly is an, is an insect that actually only lives for 24 hours. So, Jean and Tony uh, wrote this story about a fly, a mayfly, that lives for a day and what her life is like. Here is mayfly. It is her last, oh, it is her first day on Earth. It is also her last. Mayflies only live for one day. But is she sad? <laughs> Not at all. She's happy to be alive. This isn't any old day. This is the best of days. She lives for each moment. She sees the world begin. She hears the crack of dawn and bathes in its golden glow. A billion buds burst open, all for her. She tastes their honey. Mayfly sees eggs hatch, babies born, lambs learning to stand. The busyness of ants, the dizziness of children, the loveliness of things. She feels the sun's warm hug, the kiss of summer rain, the magic of the rainbow. It is her wedding day. Trees throw confetti. There are games on the lawn. Breezes blow, bells chime, birds sing. She dances to the music of the universe. Mayfly lays her eggs. It is a peaceful night, the best of nights. She makes one last wish. Little ones, may all your tomorrows be as perfect as my yesterday. Mayfly watches the moon come up and the stars go out and is thankful for her wonderful life. Blessings to you as um, you walk with God and as he opens your eyes to how he exists in every moment. Good morning. You get to see more of you that I haven't seen in a while, and it's nice to see you back. Um, just to keep our, our thoughts in the right place, um, my heart has been stirred over the last little while to, to be in consideration of what's happening in our world, and so I'm not sure how much you were paying attention to the, uh, the events of this week, but there have been... Uh, five more significant earthquakes that happened throughout the world. Five more, and they, uh, they rated them as significant because none of those were less than a six. And it's huge. And if, if you're like me, you notice that we went through that horrible, devastating weather change on Thursday when it was warm, and then it got chilly because the Markham Fair came. <laughs> so we had to have some rain for that. Um, 
that's what our world was like. And yet the world around us is in a much, much different place. And so I want to encourage you. I mean, this is a way to live all the time. But certainly for October, it has been our tradition since we first started into one to set October aside as a season of thanks. For me, it struck me um, as noticeable that Canadian Thanksgiving happens sort of at the beginning of October. And yet we are overwhelmed with the, the, the push of the marketing, the advertising, whatever, that moves towards Halloween. And Halloween is the big deal. And Halloween, it, it's fun, you get candy, but it sort of celebrates evil and, and darkness and killing. And, and I thought, man, as, as a body, wouldn't it be so much better to put an emphasis on being grateful? It seems that we have a, a great struggle with actually being thankful and considerate and, and, and just engaging in that way. And so we would like to set aside this month as season of thanks. And so we're going to do some things in there that are going to be more thankful. And we're going to encourage you to live more gratefully. And so uh, we'll have different elements that come up that we're going to talk about it in that way. And one of the things that we're going to do over the course of the month is to express our thanks in another way. Last year, we started a new tradition called the Jaffrey Offering. And we're going to set aside October as a month where we specifically mention and focus this. As, as a church, you don't know this as well, but we give regularly to overseas, um, international, other country ministries, the mission of the church to be involved. And we've targeted specific missionaries that we focus on, Derek and Bonnie Burnett and um, uh, Lisa Brown, um, those specific people that have been in our church that have been part of our family that have told us that's where they're going. And so over the course of this uh, month, we are going to be able to focus on an offering that is specific. So we won't do it today, but going forward, we'll tell you a little bit more about the people that we're focusing on in this time as a denomination we're pulling together. So we'll have our regular offering available at the back, and you can write your stuff in there, and that'll be fine. We'll make sure your tax are seated for that, and you can continue to give online, and you can um, text to give if that works for you. But we're going to have a special time in the service where we are going to pass an offering plate, and the offering in the plate will be specifically for the Jaffrey offering, which is focused on um, international work. Okay, so there will be a, a separation. So what, I, what I'm directing you is to not take one and move it to here. I'm, I'm going to be bold and say, what we need to do is give regularly and then give above regularly. And you are, of course, free. You're free to participate at the level that you feel that God is prompting your heart. But I will tell you a story that... Um, no, I won't. I'll just tell you the, the, the point of the story, and you will find many other people who will be able to look you in the eye and tell you the same story. You can't outgive God. You just won't ever end up on the short end of the stick. And I know that it's scary, and I know that it's hard. But if you want to experience what it's like, I'm not asking for a specific dollar amount. I'm not trying to push. I'm trying to say, here's the opportunity, and that's why we're not doing it today. Because today I'm giving you the introduction, so I don't want you to feel guilt. Don't give out of guilt. Don't give out of shame. Don't give out of should. I have no interest in those things. Give generously from your heart as God prompts you, and then watch as your God works. So as part of the season of thanks, I also wanted to take uh, a couple of moments every now and again to recognize some folks and to say thank you 
for what they have done. Because as a group, we do things to benefit each other. We help each other out. And I want you to know some of the things that you might not have known. And I want to be clear when we, um, some, some of what we benefit from because of each other. So there, one of the things that moves me the most, and it's not all about me, but I'm talking, so I'll tell you what moves me the most, is when somebody sees that we need something and then does something about it. Again, this has nothing to do with guilt. This has everything to do with beauty. And so I got to experience a wonderful gift when somebody within the church said, you know what? I see this, and I think I can do something about it. Not, why don't we do something about it, right? Graham, why don't you do it? Um, well, it was more, I see it. I'll do this. Would it be okay? Would you release me to do that? And it, it made a significant difference to us. And it's one of those things that, ah, ah I'm going to go too long on this, but I'm grateful and I want you to understand that there is great value in the gifts that you have given. This is not the only one. This is just the one that I'm recognizing today. And so I wanted to personally thank Victor Morasic, who decided that our lawns needed to be mowed. Thanks, Victor. And last year, we had a number of people who said, I'm going to be part of that, and I'll help, and we'll sign up. And it was, it was laborious trying to make the schedule just to make that happen. And this year, Victor said, you know what? I know it needs to get done. I can do that. Can I, would, it be okay if I, would it be okay if I just did that? And graciously, I allowed him to do that. And we have all benefited because of it. So thank you very much, Victor. I appreciate that very much. So... Um, God, thank you. It is not difficult for us to find things that we are unhappy about. It's not difficult for us to, things, to find things that frustrate us. But it will be my choice. It will be my spiritual discipline to search out those things that I can be thankful for. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in my heart, that you would continue to prompt and poke so that I will see them, but that then I will take action and I will be physically, outwardly grateful. I will thank you for what you were doing in and through these people, but I will not assume that they just know that I am thankful. I will tell them. And God, I pray that these people who are in front of me would be released in the same way to give generously of their heart, of their encouragement, of their, what they are thankful for to say it to release it. And now as we go to, uh, to try and continue to focus on you, to continue to put our heart and our minds into your place, God, I pray that you will help us to see as you see so that we might do as you say. And God, I pray that you will speak to me now so that you can speak through me later. And I pray the same blessing on my friends that are here. God, would you speak to them now so that you might speak through them later. We long for your presence in this place, Holy Spirit. So come, you are free to move. We welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for my next good gift. Ah, well, good morning. I'm glad that you're here joining us for week three of Fellowship of the King. Um, we're going to, the, the point is making and um, being and making disciples 
of Christ. And we're going we're gonna to kind of take it a little bit under the hood, looking at who we are, what makes us, what's our DNA, what makes us Christians living on this planet today. This is core stuff. This is today, the day that we're going to put the fun back in the fundamentals. We're going to get down to it. This is identity stuff. This is what does it mean to be a Christian? It's not just a statement that I make. What do I do? What does it mean to be part of this church? And we're not asking for someone else to tell us, to give us their definition, but we're exploring ourselves so that we would know what it takes, in fact, to be part of this fellowship of the King. So I'm glad that you're here to dive into this kind of serious business. So let's start it off in a really uncomfortable way. And let me ask you, why are you here? Seriously, why are you here? It doesn't sound like a very welcoming question, does it? We're really glad that you're here. But why? Why are you here? And I'm going to guess that there's a number of answers that are floating around out there. Um, you, You can do anything you want. No one forced you to be here, yet you have chosen to get up out of your bed this morning and come into this highly attractive, rustic, modern building. Why? Here's some reasons, and some of these, some of them may or may not really cut it, but here they are, and I think these are all understandable reasons to be here. So why do you come to church? Someone makes me. And I think maybe maybe some of those already went downstairs. (laughs) But maybe there's still some up here too. Maybe you come to support someone else, and that makes you a very kind person. Maybe there's some curiosity, and that can make you a spiritual seeker. We want to make a safe place for you to examine, to look around. Maybe you come because of tradition, and that makes you religious. None of these things make you a Christian, or even reveal that you are a Christian, but they're understandable. And there are why some people might come. Maybe you come to feel good. And if that's the case, that might just make you narcissistic. Maybe you came to make friends, which might make you lonely. Maybe you came to find someone special. Best of luck. No better place to find your someone special. Maybe you came to learn about the Bible. That sounds better, right? But really, that might just qualify you to be a Pharisee. Maybe you'll say, to grow closer to God. That sounds like a good reason. But is it good enough? That might just make you dangerous. Why do I say dangerous? Because when people grow closer to God in general, rather than Jesus in particular, we find that we can project our own image onto God, and we can tend to make Him in our likeness, in our image, and we tend to import God's authority and His importance onto our own opinions. So whatever our political or ethical views may be, we find that God is on our side. What we do find is that without Jesus at the center, people who claim to be Christian who just grow closer to God in general, can become, not necessarily will become, but they can become people who become increasingly judgmental, bigoted, harsh, violent even. You take a moment and you think about this. Have you experienced something like that? 
Someone who grows closer to God in general, without Jesus at the center, may on the one hand say that I will, for the glory of God, blow myself and others up in the name of that closeness that I have with God. Or they could be willing to torture or even go to war against other people in the name of the love of God. So for us, there might be all these reasons that are operating in the background, but ultimately we want to be a people that gather for one reason and one reason only. Why do we gather as a church? Because we want to be more like Jesus. And this as a goal is something that I'm pretty sure whether you believe in God or not, whether you're an atheist, whether you're part of another faith, I don't think that there's anyone who's really against the notion of you coming here so that you will leave more like Jesus. They like Jesus. They like what he's like. They'd like us if we were more like Jesus and less interested in Simply the religion. That's why the New New Testament church existed. That's what Jesus calls us into, this togetherness, so that we could become more like him. And this is the great project of New Testament discipleship, to help followers of Jesus actually follow Jesus, and in so doing, become more like Jesus. That's the goal of discipleship. That's the goal underneath what we're trying to do in church all the time. And so Jesus says in John, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He leads by example. We follow his lead. Uh, We become more like him. So, what is your example like? What are you teaching those who are learning from you? Another time, Jesus says in Luke, uh, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. To be like Jesus is the goal of being trained. It's not about being taught. That could be content-oriented. But it's to be trained as an apprentice. It is to learn Christ-likeness. That's discipleship. And that's what we're calling you to. Not simply to sit here and listen, but to take content and apply it and live it all around. So the point of this series is to focus on Jesus and the pursuit of him. We are saying that the cycle of discipleship that we showed the last couple of weeks is something that we want to be partnered with. I want to engage in that. And we've been talking about different stages of that cycle. First, we trust. Then we grow. That's what we're talking about today, growth. Then we give, then we go. That's the cycle. Trust, grow, give, go, all within the matrix of into oneness, that togetherness. Authentic relationships. We are a family and we have each other's best interests in mind. To have each other's best interests in mind, you have to actually be concerned with what somebody else thinks. And it's not worried about what they think, as in, should I really wear those shoes? It's, 
Do I care when my behavior impacts someone else? What would benefit someone else? And that's where we've been, and that's where we're headed in the next couple of weeks. Colossians chapter 1, it says, He is the one we proclaim. So Jesus is the message, all right? When the Buddha was on earth near his death, his disciples asked him, how should we remember you? And he said, don't. I'm not important. My teaching is important. But Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. He made himself the center of his own teaching. That would be inappropriate for the Buddha. That would be um, blasphemy for Muhammad to say, I'm the center of it all. But for Jesus, the messenger and the message were combined. He is the word of God lived out among us. So the Apostle Paul is right when he focuses on this. And he says, he, he, him, Jesus is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's his goal. It's not just to have people say yes to Jesus, not just to come on a Sunday morning, but for them to grow up and to fully mature in Christ. And to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I am partnered with Christ. He's providing the power. But I am also strenuously contending. I am also laboring alongside with what the Holy Spirit is doing. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the word homothumadon, right? This is how we go towards our unity. We breathe heavily. We are passionate we grunt as we strain to maintain our role and our part to bring about this unity. It's the, let's work hard. It doesn't just happen accidentally. Um, that partnership with Christ is a beautiful thing. And so this is what gets Paul up in the, in the morning. Why does he keep traveling? Why does he keep going on these things? Why does he keep facing it? Because of this. This is what he's working hard for. This is what he's overcoming his fear for. This is what he is enduring for. This is what drives him. This is what he risks for. This is the vision of the church. Partnership with the Holy Spirit and assisting each other to grow to full maturity in Christ. The more Jesus that you have, the more that you are like him, the better it is for me. The, the, the more Jesus-like I am, the better it is for you. And because we have each other's interests in mind, we need to strenuously work towards this because we will all benefit with any movement forward. So what does that look like practically? What does it look like to be an apprentice of Jesus? Let's take a, take a wee peek into one of those driving passages that pushes us to do what we're going to do. It's called the Great Commission found in all the Gospels and in Acts, but we're going to look at the one in Matthew. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. 
to the very end of the age. Teaching them to obey. That's kind of a big deal. One of the last thoughts that Jesus wanted to leave with us before he go. If you forget everything else, this is the stuff that I really want you to come back to. It does not mean to teach them everything I have commanded them, right? That would be content-driven. And that would have been uh, done by reading a book or taking a class, checking a box, signing off on that. Yeah, I agree. He says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. It's actually training for a lifestyle of ongoing application. No longer simply theories. Theoretical spirituality is so much easier. This is hard to practically live out those things that we have been taught. You need the content. The content's essential, but it's just the first step. You need to learn how to obey it and not just learn what was commanded. In obeying, we sense the power and the partnership with Jesus. That obedience has a transformative power in us, but not in us alone, but also around us. It's almost like a gentle, lingering shockwave that radiates around us. Other people are impacted. They sense the kingdom of Jesus by it, through it. When we do, when we appear, when we model, it impacts other people. This kind of thing we find in a number of passages. It comes through the New Testament repeatedly. We're not going to go and find them all, so you're lucky. But the Apostle Paul is writing to warn this one specific people, that's one gathering, about their divisiveness. He's trying to help them with their waywardness, some of the ways that they were abusing grace. And as he challenges them directly on this, he says in 1 Corinthians, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. So shaming is not the way of the New Testament church, okay? But caring enough to confront, loving enough to warn that's the way of Christ. We're not here to shame people. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, the, the parental imagery is not about having control over them, but about having a responsibility, uh, a sense of caring for you. I want the best for you. I want to be involved in your life and to help you avoid pitfalls. Therefore, because of this, therefore I urge you to imitate me. So you go, hold on a second. Why is he not asking them to imitate Christ? Wasn't that the point? I mean, it's certainly easier to say, right? It's a lot safer for me to say, hey, you just be like Jesus. He's the best standard. That's, the, that's where you want to be. That's what we say. That makes us comfortable in our own context. But the Apostle Paul knows that people are made to learn through modeling. That's exactly how we learn best, especially when it's something lifestyle-oriented, something action-oriented. We can't just learn that from a book. The content from the book is essential. But the book is to be at the center of a community that is living it out. And then we will learn by doing together. Observing. Modeling. This is how God has wired us as the relational beings 
that we are. Paul's not being arrogant when he says, imitate me. It's actually remarkably uh, humble to say that. There's an authenticity about that relationship that is open and vulnerable to be exposed in that way. It's much easier to opt out. It's much more risky knowing that people are going to be watching you in challenging circumstances. We're already learning from each other whether you meant for it or not. The really dangerous part would be for us to pretend that no one is actually watching us, that no one is actually in, in, uh, following our lead at all, and that none of us would recognize that and none of us would take responsibility for that. People, be in good relationships where you can learn from someone else and they can learn from you. It's never one way. And it doesn't matter how old you are or young you are, how mature in, in Christ you are or not. We learn from each other. That's the way forward. It's true that we will learn from each other's mistakes and failures. And let's be honest, we will learn more from each other's mistakes and failures than we will from the person who says, my life is happy and perfect and nothing ever goes wrong. We learn from watching people overcome hardship and we focus, we identify, what will you do? How will you respond? God help me to never be in that situation. But if I am, I want to have a map and you're the only map I've got right now. So I want to watch what you do. Watch me as I pick myself back up again and I repent and as I reconcile and then I go forward once again. Watch that, learn that and therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy. So Paul has been there, but he can't be there now. And he was probably living, working, and building the church in Ephesus when he wrote this. So he sends them this letter, but, but the letter's not enough. It's not enough to just say, hey, here's a book. You should totally read it. Discipleship is information taken and lived out together in community. So Paul says, I can't be there in person. So I'm going to send you a letter to let you know that I'm sending you a Timothy. And Timothy is a great guy to have around. So Timothy, he says, is my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach at every church. We can learn here something that is easy to overlook. Uh, it's easy to forget because we don't normally talk about it or think about it in this way. But the Bible that you have carried around for years, the Bible that you leave on your table that's covered in dust, the Bible that you show off to people, the Bible that you've got on your shelves to show people that you've got 13 different ones, the Bible is not only a message book, but it's also a method book. It's not just about what the gospel is, but how it needs to get passed on from generation to generation. It's not just about you. That method is what we would call purposeful proximity. Getting close enough to other people so that we can learn through each other's examples. This might show very well up as one of our faith catalysts. We talk about these things a bunch. This would be under the category of providential relationships. Internalization through association. Being close enough with someone that they can start to rub off on you. 
God's not simply inviting you to affirm a list of abstract beliefs. Yeah, I don't know why that would be wrong. So yeah, check that one. That's okay. But he's, he's inviting you rather to just step out on an adventure, to join this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ with some other people. In Philippians, he says, join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Watch each other. Learn from each other. Grow from each other. God didn't just write a book. God became flesh, and he came to live amongst us. And the church is now the body of Christ. If we are going to get really churchy right now and you want to hear some good language, that is excellent incarnational theology. That's what we do. We become the body of Christ. So when people look around and say, what's Jesus like? What does that look like? You go, look at his church. Hopefully they can say, look at his church and you'll get an accurate representation. We are being God wrapped up in flesh. Just like Jesus came, he came God wrapped up in flesh and he lived on earth and now it's up to us to be God wrapped in flesh so that others might see who God is and what he is like. Because there's a lot of stories going around about what God is like and they're not really true. But people read it in the way you behave. They read it in the face that you show them. They read it in the words that come out from you. They read it in your attitudes and they think that that's what God's like. And we're not always telling the truth. We're telling to people, this is what I'm like. And I kind of like it if you would believe that God's like that too. Then I wouldn't feel bad. Model is, modeling is what's going on. Jesus was our model. Then I am your model. And you become my model. And we are modeling to each other what it is like to live within the kingdom of God. And I'm convinced that our unity in Christ is not just a gospel fact that said you have been unified in Christ. But it's also a spiritual discipline that we each need to pick up and participate in because we work at it and we choose it. We choose to be unified. We choose to not be offended. We choose to not open the gift that somebody gave to us that was offense. I don't have to unwrap it. I don't have to love it. I can say it was given and I will set it aside. I have a choice in the unity that I will participate in. So as we walk together in life, because of our eyes up mindset, our eyes up practice that we continue to have, we will continue to choose to see people for who they are turning into and not be stuck on simply who they are currently. Think about the power of that statement. Think about what that will be like for you when somebody looks at you in that way. I'll say it again. We will continue to choose to see people for who they are turning into and to not be stuck simply on who they are currently. Set us free from so much pain. But here's the thing. Change and development, they're required. You're going to have to change something. And as a model to others, you should be able to display changes in you. So if I'm following Jesus and I'm more cranky at 50 than I was at 20, then I'm doing something seriously wrong in my discipleship journey. That's not the way the path goes. More cranky is not on the Jesus plan. Less cranky is on the plan. 
The modeling of Jesus that he followed, that he showed us, was this hands-on, in-the-midst-of mentality. He had the crowds, okay? So there was that kind of group. Then he had the disciples, and the disciples at that time would be probably about 100 people. And then he had his 12 disciples, or the apostles. Each had growing levels of intimacy and interaction and overlap. You have to be involved in other people's lives. When you read the gospel, you should really, um, what you should really do, you should really read the gospel. It doesn't matter if you believe them. It doesn't matter if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You should totally just read the gospels to see what the story actually looks like. Um, read them and watch what this brilliant teacher does, okay? It was never, show up at my class, take my lessons, take my course, enroll. He lived life with them. The kingdom is not somehow life outside of regular life. It is not an extracurricular event that you sign up for if you have time amongst your schedule. The kingdom is living on mission, everyone, everywhere, all the time. So many times you read that Jesus, as he was taught them, he taught them along the way. So you read the Gospels, you're going to see this all the time. On the way to somewhere else that they were going that was supposed to be the important place. On his way there, that's when they did stuff. So you've heard it said, but I tell you what comes on the way. What do you think? Or, hey, Jesus, we saw you talking to the Pharisees. Wow. Um, What was going on there? What what are you trying to say? We, We saw you dealing with that sinful person. Boy, we didn't see that coming at all, the way you talked to them. Why did you do that? That's the way he was interacting. Jesus would teach them as they went. Then an even smaller group that he had was the three. He spent the most time with Peter, James, and John. And he took these guys on special special uh, field trips, we can call them. He took them on the transfiguration. He said, I'm going to let you see something about the kingdom of God that no one else is going to see. It's going to blow your mind, but I want you here with me. He took them when he, they were going to heal Jairus' daughter. Everyone sort of falls and goes, okay, you guys stay outside. Inside, Peter, James, and John, you're with me. And they go in, and they get to experience something that no one else gets to see. He schedules this private Q&A kind of time, and he includes uh, Andrew, one of the other guys, in Mark chapter 13. When they're praying in Gethsemane, he takes the, the, the whole, did I say Yosemite? I feel like in my head I said Yosemite. When they're praying in Gethsemane, and he, he takes them all, and they go to the garden, and he goes, okay, guys, wait here and pray. I'm going to go farther in. Peter, James, and John, you're with me. And they go again, and they pray. And he had these special times for these people. He taught us shared life together. Different levels of intimacy, different levels of connection. Discipleship happens through purposeful proximity. You've got to get close enough to get a good view of each other. And here's what we're looking for on our spiritual discipleship checklist, okay? We're looking for authenticity. That's your first one, where rich friendships are formed. Who doesn't want a rich friendship to be formed? The next part is application, where learning becomes living. (coughs) Our goal is not that you would know more. Our goal is that you would live more like Jesus. Learn it, apply it, become like Jesus. Accountability, where weakness receives help. The misconception is that the church is all about identifying your weakness and then shunning you because of it. That is the wrong way. We all have weakness. We identify those weaknesses and we are accountable so that we can be made stronger in our areas of weakness. Apprenticeship, where spiritual practices are practiced. 
where you get to do stuff, where you get to have your hands on and your hands in, where you get to make a difference. That's the doorways that we're trying to open up. So here's some next steps if you want to grow at Into One. If you don't have a Bible, get a Bible. Bring your Bible. Read your Bible. Bring it to church. Get the online U version. Get a Bible plan. Start reading a reading plan. Take notes inside your Bible. Did you know that you're allowed to write in your Bible? That you can put a note there and it's beautiful. So the next time you come back, you go, oh yeah, I've already been here. I've already been to this place. God spoke to me at this time and this is what I learned at that time. What am I learning now? Write in your Bible. Take notes. We hand out handouts. Write in them. Write stuff down. It's not so that you'll make me feel better. It won't impact me at all. But if you can remember something that was important, what is the spirit prompting your heart with? Write it down. If you do the online version, when we're you versioning here, you can still take notes and do it in the online thing and save them that way as well. Get involved in Into Sunday Night. The next session is tonight. Make time. Connect with people. Learn together. Live together. Pray together. Focus on applying some of what you're hearing. You don't have to do everything all at once. Pick a thing, one thing. One thing that you're going to say, this week I'll do that. Try not to forget it the next week, but one thing. If you do one thing more than you're doing now, that's one thing more. You don't have to do everything. One thing. And the next thing is hang out with someone from Into One sometime during the month. Get together. Have coffee if you drink that poison. Have tea if you're smarter. Have a meal together. Walk somewhere together. Just hang out with someone even once a month just to get someone else inside your sphere. Engage with our faith catalysts. We keep bringing them forward because we can't give you faith. We want to, but all we can do is try and open doors that allow faith growing to happen. So get involved and keep current in our practical teaching. Go back in time if you want and, and, and listen to some of the stuff that we've already talked about. If you miss a week, listen to it so that you can be involved in the ongoing conversation. Get involved and practice your private disciplines. Sign up for personal ministry. Where are you going to serve? If you want to pursue Christ, I don't know why it works like this, okay? But we're, we're designed to be connected. If you will not be involved in any sort of ministry, you will never get to the same place that you would like to be. You want to have a closer relationship to Jesus? Then love his kids, okay? That's the way it works. So where, where, where will you sign up for that? For kids' church? We need some help. For our tech services? Easy to get in. Low commitment. Easy training. What about the, uh, our first impressions team? When people walk in, you want to greet what about being involved in an outreach event like, uh, like the Halloween hunt that's going to happen on October 28th? We need people here to, to give out stuff on that day. Can you, can you do that? Can you sign up for something like that? These are easy ways to get involved. If your answer is continually, I can't, I don't have time, then don't say, God, why don't I sense your closeness? All right? It's just the way it works. Serve his kids and you'll connect better with him. It just, it just happens like that. Be aware. Be listening to what's happening around you that you can be involved in a providential relationship. It might be that it's happening to you, and it might be that it's happening for you. Remember, start to watch as you go through your week that interruption is opportunity. When it wasn't expected, maybe it's for your benefit. And then be prepared for pivotal circumstances in your life 
or in the lives of those around you. When something strikes, be ready to respond. Be be prepared and ready in season and out of season. Ready to live the kingdom life. You are here. You are part of the fellowship of the king. And as plants breathe in carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen, so the kingdom life, the Jesus life, takes in the world's hate and offers love in response. Purify the air wherever you go. We're going to do this imperfectly, okay? It's not going to work perfectly. It's going to take time. We'll have to all train together. We're not going to nail it on our first try. But that's the direction that we are going. And we would love it if you would come and join us on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Jesus. Kind Father, thank you. Thank you for the gifts that you have given to us. Thank you that were we to give it the time it deserves, we would be able to list one thing after another that you have done to change us, to help us, to bless us, to give to us. And we are so thankful for the way that you are changing our hearts and changing the hearts of people, even in our own community. God, we pray that you would be at work outside of just this community, but you would use us to make a difference in this town. May Whitchurch, Stouffville be different because everywhere into one goes, we go as air purifiers, taking out the hate, replacing it with love. May we be agents of Jesus wherever we go, all the time. Move us in that direction, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you are a taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Oh boy, it's better when you're here. It's better when we're together, and I'm convinced that the more we connect, the better it gets. The more we work at it, the better it will get. As you go today, I want to remind you that you're not leaving, you're being sent. And as you were sent, I want you to know that we are Christ-centered, we are spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused, and we desperately need you to be involved in that mission and to remember that it's for everyone, everywhere. All the time, people are waiting for you to be the light of Jesus in their life. They really are. 